My name is Anda Ginska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. Today on Pros and Content, we are bringing you the fourth in a series of online roundtables. Since beginning the series, we've heard from amazing panelists on how they're responding to the COVID-19 crisis. In this roundtable, once again hosted by Anda Gonska and Rachel Tipograph, we'll be going a step further and talking with leaders about what has worked and what hasn't. This conversation was recorded on April 9th, 2020. We hope you enjoy. Anda, can you believe this is our fourth week doing this? I know when we first called each other trying to figure out what to do um, in the face of this crisis, we came up with this idea and we thought, oh, it's going to be this one event. And I don't know, I guess we thought we would come out of it or something would happen that would change the course of events. But now it feels like we're going to have a weekly webinar series for quite a while. I mean, honestly, webinars are the new black. I am blown away by... Yeah, not just, I'm not even blown away by our webinar, but I'm blown away by all the webinars that are happening across the board and just how engaged people are. Um, so we're four weeks into all of this. If we're following the news cycle, um, hopefully we're, we're at the peak and things are about to normalize and we're seeing early indicators from at least a health standpoint that that's the case. The economy totally different story. And I think there's still so many unknowns. And, you know, Anda and I have a unique vantage point because not only do we spend all day speaking to Fortune 500 brands, but we also spend an enormous amount of time talking to fellow founders and the investor community. And there still seems to be so much uncertainty about what's to come. But today we really want to focus on four weeks in, what's been working, what hasn't been working, and how can we all collectively learn together? Uh, because there's probably a few more weeks of this while we navigate all of this uncertainty. You know, from my business standpoint, for those of you who've tuned in the past few weeks, uh, you know that I'm in e-commerce and that Anda's in content marketing. And we actually cater to two entirely different sets of customers, which I think what makes this webinar so interesting because we were complementary in that sense. But from an e-commerce standpoint, I thought I'd share uh, what we're seeing in terms of the latest trends. So historically, um, what mattered in driving sales online had a lot to do with retailer preference. Meaning if you were an Amazon Prime member, you would go to Amazon first to buy that product. We have seen that wane. And actually what the most important thing right now on the customer journey is whether your product is in stock or it's out of stock. So customers right now are willing to give a shot to a retailer they'd never heard of if the product is in stock. After that, follow shipping and then price. Creative um, being less of an obstacle right now in the e-commerce customer journey. We're also seeing changes in channel efficiency. So, you know, what's happening right now is we're seeing a lot of people pull ad dollars. The people who are pulling ad dollars tend to be in the SMB bucket which means for big Fortune 1000 brands right now, there's actually an opportunity to acquire customers at a lower cost. And we're actually seeing a lot of growth within social in terms of time spent because people are bored. And I'd say where I see two very 
uh, promising signs right now with platforms that are often not talked about in terms of performance is Pinterest and TikTok. Um, so those are just some of the latest updates of what we're seeing work and what's not working. Anda, I know you have some insights that are a little bit different, so I want to hear them. Yeah, well, I think I first want to start by acknowledging that there's two really big camps. I feel like the sea has parted in terms of how CMOs want to tackle COVID overall. Um, there's one camp of brands and CMOs who believe that it is not their place to say anything um, and that furthermore, all the money that would be typically spent on any type of advertising, be it content, e-commerce, et cetera, should instead be spent on saving people's jobs. Um, in that camp, I would also say there's CMOs who um, are, are, you know, have a ton of CSR stories or stories of how they're helping um, different people during this crisis, but they feel like it is not on brand for them to bring out those stories now because their, their company has never done that before. So to bring out those stories now would feel really disingenuous. And so there's a camp that basically is staying silent and really saving their money for a later time when people are back into more of a buying mindset. There's another camp who um, have managed to very quickly pivot their creative, their media, et cetera, not to try to sell product. I think more and more people are saying, look, no one's in a transactional mindset. We need to stop trying to take value and just try to create value. Um, but to actually put out messages of hope, of utility, of empathy, um, inspiration, et cetera. And I think we have some really great um, examples of that on today's panel as well. So I'm excited to dive into that um, and to really hear from all these leaders how they're thinking about it, what, what side they're on. If Maybe there's another camp that I haven't yet discovered. So I'm curious to hear um, from all the great speakers today. Um, but that's what's happening in my world. So I wanted to kick it off. Um, this, this kind of incredible lineup of today with a brand that um, I have come to love so much more during this crisis, not just because we are very lucky to work with them, but because of how they've showed up as a company, because of what they've done, and because of what they're saying as well. Um, the brand is Ford, and we're really lucky to have Joy today, um, who is the president of the Lincoln Motor Company and Ford's chief marketing officer. Welcome, Joy. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to kick off this, um, this conversation by asking you to, to share a little bit with us. We were talking a bit before the, the webinar actually started. What are you seeing in China? I know you have a ton of data, a lot of first party data. And I feel like, you know, even though some people don't trust the data that's coming out of China, the kind of official government data, um, I feel like we would trust the data that you're seeing. I'm curious to see what behaviors you're seeing from the auto side of things. Yeah, sure. You know, we've been uh, obviously tracking this crisis for quite some time because of the fact that it originally began in China and our business in China. So we've been following it all along the journey. And we really saw it was about six weeks uh, when people were completely out of the market based on what was going on in the Wuhan and, and Hubei province and the impact it had and the fact that they uh, obviously shut down the markets in many areas. But as we started to come out of it, the first month was, was a slow month, I will say. But the second month, we saw uh, an exponential jump uh, in March in the volume. So while we're not exactly back to where we were uh, the prior year, there's been a significant jump uh, from February to March. And we're seeing some different behaviors. Uh, the customers are, are hanging on to their concern, as you would imagine, uh, regarding uh, health and safety and the cleanliness of a vehicle, of transportation, and how they view 
um, view vehicles. And there's some learnings there about the online models uh, that they have and how quickly uh, brands that are uh, moving forward have stood those up and allowed to have you know, virtual tours of vehicles. They're having remote deliveries, remote selling, and really leaning into e-commerce more to really uh, ensure the customer of the safety and security. That's really interesting to hear. I know that um, when the crisis hit, um, and I, I hope my information is correct, but you were about to go live with a big campaign that you had been thinking about and prepping together with your partners, and then the crisis hit and you had to very quickly pivot. Um, how did you accomplish that? And how did you think about the new creative and what you actually wanted to say? So there's a couple things. Um, when, when you talk about China, actually, we were getting ready uh, in the Lincoln side to launch the Lincoln Corsair. Uh, and we'd already done the um, reveal of vehicle and we were trying to do the pricing reveal. And we actually went online and did an online reveal. So completely pivoted from our in-person planned program that we normally had to an online uh, reveal. And we're very happy with the numbers and results that we've had in China from that. And that was in early March, about March 12th. And I think we hit the market right because customers were just uh, starting to come back uh, to the market and we saw a lot of order activity. Here in the U.S., um, back in early March, you know, we could see uh, that it was clear that things were starting to head into a crisis level here in the U.S. And it was about the first week of March where we started considering, you know, our spins here in the U.S. for March and April. And we were heading into March Madness. And on the Ford side, we invest a lot in advertising uh, for that event and we had plans. Uh, to have a lot of media around our new Explorer, our new Escape, and, and really, you know, have a big event around March Madness. But we very early on um, knew from our learnings in China that, you know, this might appear tone deaf if we're shouting offers at customers in the middle of what we saw as a crisis forthcoming. So it was actually on Thursday, March 9th, and I remember talking to um, Matt Van Dyke, who's our lead on the U.S. marketing side, about, you know, what we might do. And he very quickly uh, briefed our agencies on, we need, to, we need to think about pivoting and doing something really different. Um, they came back very quickly and we worked through the uh, weekend and we approved creative and we had it in place, uh, switching out our spots, starting on a rolling running change on Monday. And with that, we uh, first launched what we call um, Built to Lend a Hand, which really recognized the fact that car expenses are very big concern for consumers when there's a, a lot of uncertainty in the economy. And you may recall that economic volatility started before uh, the pandemic really ramped up. They were about a week apart. So that was on, for the people that weren't in the hot spots, it was all about, am I gonna lose my job and concerns over things like that. Um, so offering to defer three payments and just saying, hey, we're here to lend a hand. We are a company that have been around for a long time. We've been through crisis before. Um, we feel that's the role that we need to play is to support uh, our customers. We followed that up, um, what, what we call what was uh, built for right now, uh, which really kind of leaned into the fact of the role that Ford has played with the arsenal of democracy in the World War II and the role that we played there. And now we face a new kind of war, which is a pandemic, um, but we're here to help. Um, and again, we reinforce the ability for the payment deferrals. We did not talk specifically at that time about the role the company was playing in partnering with 3M um, to build ventilators, uh, beginning to ramp up face shields, uh, manufacturing on our own, and also respirators um, to support uh, firsthand uh, the people, the new first responders that are on the front line, right? Uh, the men and women in 
uh, the hospitals, the doctors and nurses. Um, so that's what we did. At the same time on Lincoln, we leaned into our pickup and delivery, uh, which is actually a, um, a feature we already had for luxury buyers about servicing, and we expanded it to sales and offered the payment relief as well. And then we continue to evolve it um, and built to lend a hand a week later, turned into offering a coming together uh, approach and, and continuing to offer the payment extensions, but also offering a payment relief if you wanted to buy a new car as well. And we continue to evolve our planning into the next phase, but this phase for us is all around reassurance messaging and letting our customers and clients know we're here and we understand what's going on. I really am curious to ask, given that you've decided to, to really lean in and, and change your creative around the crisis, um, how come you, you didn't decide the opposite, to kind of step out and not say anything until the crisis ends? Well, you talked uh, at the beginning about a kind of the splitting of the sea here, and I think we're in the middle, if you will, um, because we did look all the way out through 2Q. We looked at, you know, what's cancelable media that we should cancel and cons consider deferring for when the economy is more robust. Um, but at the same time, we had dealers and customers that are out there today that need our help. So what we already had planned, we just shifted uh, from March and April to reassurance and supporting our customers and our dealers that are out in there today. And then we'll look to build up uh, more uh, when we are, see ourselves in that, what we call restart phase, preparing for a rebound. When you talk about the pivot that you went through, it sounds like that happened in what, two, three days? Yeah, it was very quickly. Uh, it was probably two or three days. And then we were on the phone with the agencies and they were turning around creative over the weekend and we were making running changes the following week. And I really attribute that to two things. Number one, we have a large part of our team that was here during the last crisis. So they know how this goes. They know what we're gonna to need to do from a company perspective uh, to look at our spins and what's most, what makes most sense. But we also know how to help in times of need uh, with our customers. And our financing arm, Ford Credit, uh, pro provides that financing relief and they do it for disasters when there's a flood or a tornado. It's a tool that they have in the toolbox. So it was really just expanding it, but moving very quickly. Um, and I gotta tell you the incoming call volume we saw was exponential. Uh, so customers, we, it was at the right message at the right time. Um, the other thing I'd have to give a shout out is to our agency partners. Um, they were fantastic and they were really excited all in, wanted to help, willing to work around the clock. And we also saw that uh, around the clock work on the other side on the Ford side with our UAW partners on ramping up the ability to support the medical equipment. We had lawyers working through the night, you know, with uh, the government to what can we do, what can't we do, you know, making sure things are appropriate with designs that we're drawing and getting approvals and things like that to be able to start the equipment of production very quickly. That's fascinating. Um, curious to hear from your perspective, given that we are, you know, a few weeks into this crisis, you've put the creative out there, um, you now, I think, can be very proud of your team for what they've achieved. But what have you, what have you seen really working and what have you seen not working? Are there any lessons that you've learned in this really short and condensed period of time that uh, marketers out there could, could really learn from? Yeah, you know, and, and thank you to your team, Anna. You guys have helped us me me measure some of the, the results. And we also had some Harris poll data, and we've really seen some good results. Our share of voice was up 52% immediately. So, 
as you know, there's um, everybody is watching TV or, uh, or over the top or streaming or whatever. Everybody is engaged online in some way, shape or form. So that's another thing that we had to consider when you, you look at canceling. Because on the Lincoln side, we talked about this a lot because luxury customers are um, you know, just really not interested right now at, at versus mass market who might need transportation. But this is a time when more people than ever are watching TV. So it is a time, if you've got the right message and it's authentic to who you are as a brand, that I think you can lean in in a supportive fashion. Um, so what, what hasn't worked is, I got to tell you, we've gone round and round on the creative. And we've looked at different things and we said, no, that's, that's, that's not the right message at the right time. Um, it's leaning in too hard. We've made some conscious decisions. Uh, we are not um, out advertising about the medical equipment. That is all coming from... Um, you know, earned media, not paid media. And we're putting the paid media around what we can do for uh, our customers and clients. And we've been very intentional about all of that. And we've had, you know, people propose things to us and we're like, no, that's not the right. Let that story be told um, by the media. And what's been most powerful from my perspective, let it be told by the doctors and nurses when they put on those face shields, when they snapshot the picture and they put it on social media and say, thank you for it. To me, that's the best uh, feeling of all. It has a lot more credibility when someone else celebrates it, especially if you're doing it as a, as a corporate uh, responsibility initiative. So that makes a lot of sense. One final question for you, Joy. What do you think are some of the um, marketing strategies, um, tactics, um, and just kind of overall life elements that will completely change because of COVID? So I alluded to this a little bit earlier on China. It, we really, the other thing we did, and we were taking, again, the learnings from China, is that we've got to stand up you know, rem remote delivery for servicing. Because we have first responders, nurses, doctors who drive cars in the, to get to work back and forth, and they need to be able to service those. But yet there's people that are concerned about um, going into public spaces. So how can we do remote deliveries and facilitate that? That was our number one priority. Number two was remote selling for people that, again, in an emergency need a vehicle and they need transportation. And we are seeing people that want their own transportation more than maybe public transportation right now. So how can we do that in a real safe environment? I think when we come out of the other side of this, like we saw in China, there is still going to be um, people that really don't want to go into crowded environments. And if we can offer them solutions where they can do part, you know, an online to offline solution, where they can do a lot of the work online and not come into a dealership or a crowded space, we think that's going to, to really resonate and stay uh, with our consumers. And then we think some social norms are going to change as well. So when you think of, reveals where you have tons of people in a tight space. Uh, we have to think about that differently. Um, so I think there's a lot of different things that are going to stay with us for a while, especially as we are, have this concern of the resurgence of this um, uh, virus at a different time later in the year. Thank you so much, Joy. That was okay, amazing. Really appreciate all the insights um, and some of the data that you shared with us from what you're seeing in China. Really appreciate that. Thank you. And thanks for all your support. Yep. Um, Rachel, over to you. Yes. Uh, well, we're going to go from driving cars to drinking scotch and whiskey. So that was probably a terrible <laughs> idea on our end. Two things that should never be <laughs> Well, at least we started with the cars, not with the whiskey. Yeah. Um, but before we get into whiskey, because Andrew Weir is up next, um, want to give one PSA. There's a Q&A function. If you guys have questions or comments, please use it. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And we will be taking questions from the audience throughout this experience. So Andrew, excited to have you. 
And hi, hi there, how are you? Good, so Anthony leads marketing at Aberlore, which is the Scotch whiskey, a part of Pernod Ricard. And if you guys have not been following the headlines, man has the booze business been impacted <laughs> by Corona. Um, from my own business, uh, you know, people thought I was crazy when I said the future of e-com was selling booze last year. And that has changed overnight. So I'm really excited to hear it from your perspective. So tell me, like, let's just start with how has Corona impacted your business? Well, you know, first of all, sales are certainly up. Uh, we work in a challenging environment. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to be here, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, dwarfed by all these big names on the panel. Um, we work in a very interesting industry where it's a three-tier system, so we don't sell direct. We certainly don't sell direct to consumer, but we don't even sell direct to retail. Uh, or bars, we go through a distributor network. It's part of uh, laws that date back to prohibition. So everything that we do has that added layer of uh, complexity. Um, certainly, there is heightened demand at the moment uh, for products in our space. Uh, there are probably some challenges coming down the road because even though we have an e-commerce component to what we do, uh, it's typically connected to brick and mortar. So there are still some challenges around the, uh, restocking retail uh, sales personnel going into stores, uh, deliveries, etc. Uh, so, so we see some we see some headwinds ahead. Uh, some brands are more uh, weighted towards the on-premise bars and restaurants. Some are more weighted towards the retail channel. Uh, so, depending on how your how your mix is there, it will be a sign of how of how you survive the next few months. But certainly, as people are spending more time at home, seems to be a growth in consumption, um, and we're we're all like everybody waiting to see what happens next. Um, have you actually been able to measure the growth in consumption? Like has Americans? Um, yeah, we, we do see some. We, you know, we don't have full visibility to data. We, we have about 35, 40% visibility and we see pretty significant. Mm. Um, in terms of your role, like what are the top two things that you've had to change in your approach the past four weeks? In terms uh, of- Well, we've, we've completely, uh, stopped in our heels in terms of what we were doing before you know being a kind of i suppose luxury brand it's very high touch uh we do a lot of events we are very event focused liquor to lips uh so clearly that stopped very early and uh we we had to kind of think how do we do this uh tone was very important as it was for everyone uh we have an exceptional corporate communications team and i think if there was ever a need for a corporate communications team it's now uh, and our team has shown uh, just an amazing ability to, to face this challenge. Uh, internal communications has been really important. Uh, but on, on, in, my, in my small part of that larger business, uh, we've completely stopped in our heels in terms of what we were doing before. Uh, and we've made a slight pivot into, I think Anda made a great point earlier about uh, giving value instead of taking value being utility. Uh, we actually have created something that is very much about utility. Uh, it's not an ad campaign. I, I agree that now is not the time to push things and sell things to people. I, I have somewhat anxiety when I open my inbox and some of the messaging that's coming through, the people pushing things on you now that you're home, now that you're in quarantine. So what we did was we created a piece of branded content that was kind of uh, lightly branded, uh, in fact, almost unbranded. Uh, we created a, a Zoom talk show. Uh, we have a very strong founder story, which is rooted in community and purpose. 
Uh, so we've created a, an online talk show called Extraordinary Measures, which seemed appropriate uh, with a little double entendre. We've pulled in some talent, host it, and we don't talk about whiskey. We don't host whiskey tastings. Uh, we give people an hour to escape and to go online and, and talk to each other. We bring on music. We uh, we have you know conversation, and we've seen people logging in from all over the world. So if you go to Abelar on Instagram at Abelar underscore US, uh, you'll see what we're doing with the extraordinary measures. But it's a test. We're seeing how it goes. Uh, but so far, the response has been really positive because people feel like we're offering them something. We're not trying to sell them something. And our space is completely crowded at the moment with happy hours and toasts and come and see me make a cocktail or show, show you how I can tell you about my brand. But we decided to put the brand in the back seat, knowing that the goodwill would come later. Mm-hmm. How, are you, how are you promoting that? Like via uh, social and email? Yes, so we just we really just started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's, it started off in CRM. Uh, we probably will have to start uh, promoting it um, through paid. We wanted to make sure we had the concept right before we, we, we really start to put something behind it. Uh, we've run a couple of tests now, and we feel like the concept is solid. Uh, so we're looking forward to taking it out to a wider audience. Uh, like I say, the you know people people feel like they get some warmth and. And uh, there's a break in the isolation for them, and that was always the point. And we believe there is a strength in community, and uh, that's the goal. So we'll see how it goes. Um, do, you mind if I, do you mind if I just say one quick thing? Yeah, of course. Um, thank you for making that point around um, around branded content. We, we we care a lot about it, and we've seen that while there is a massive decrease in obviously travel, hospitality, etc., there's actually an increase from January to March in the paid branded content that is created across finance, technology, as well as some of the categories that really kind of want to be out there with a brand without really making people feel like they're trying to extract value. And so it's been interesting to see how even though the kind of overall content levels are going down, there's these categories that deal with home decor and uh, spirits and um, basically like the, the goods that are getting sold right now, as well as the higher consideration brands that are really pushing out content. So I, I like to see that you're doing that as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I, you know, I think particularly with alcohol, uh, it's, it's always a high wire. And uh, at, this, at this moment in time, we have to tread very carefully. Uh, so all of the brands in our kind of parent company are, 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 I think, doing an exceptional job of treading carefully. Uh, we, have to, we have a big job to do to support our trade as well. Uh, the bar and restaurant community are, are having a particularly difficult time at the moment. So a lot of what we are doing as, as professionals in this industry are really, first of all, supporting them. Um, but as a very heavily, mine is a very heavily consumer-focused strategy. Uh, we are trying to keep the conversation going in a way that's not about us; it's about you. So we're hoping to see some uh, some long-term success. Andrew, I'm going to take one question from the audience for you. Yep. So some of the local distilleries have pivoted to bottling hand sanitizer. Have you all done any of that for your local community? We have actually. Aberlour today uh, uh, just released, I don't have the exact number, but many thousands of gallons of hand sanitizer to the National Health Service in the UK. Uh, and some of our sister and brother brands in, in, within Panora Card were way ahead of the, the, uh, the game on that. Smooth Ambler in West Virginia, Portsmouth in Arkansas, uh, Walkerville, Ontario, TX, uh, Rabbit Hole. Uh, as a company, as an organisation, we were way ahead of the curve on that, and, and it was a great point of pride for an employee of the company to see that uh, there was no hesitation in doing what was right for the greater good. It was like a fairly wartime. I, I love history, and 
to me it was like a, a, a wartime reaction long before uh, that seemed to be the general uh, consensus. So it's, it's been really inspiring. Awesome. Well, thank you, Andrew. I hope everyone tonight uh, has a little um, Aberlour scotch. Thank you. Thank you both for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Um, Rachel, should we take a question from the audience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I have a good one. So for, I have two good ones. One, I have one for Joy. Um, it's directed at Joy, and I know you have to drop off in about 20 minutes. So Joy, um, here's a question for you. Um, Ranjit says, I'm curious about how Ford is managing communication for dealerships, particularly those struggling with limited test drives and in-person foot traffic. Yeah, so um, the dealerships actually uh, have been uh, aligned with and also participating in, with some of our built-to-lend-a-hand advertising and communications, and they do that at what we call a tier two level. So you'll see some of that in local markets where they have a, a presence with media with their local uh, dealer uh, association. Um, they are certainly, uh, as you can imagine, just like everybody, they're significantly impacted. Um, we have certain states that are completely closed, some that are open for uh, service only, some that are open for service and remote sales. We just got an executive order since I've been sitting here that Michigan is now, which had been closed, is now going to open for remote um, service and remote sales um, and after, the, after today, if you will. So that just came through. And so it's been a significant impact on them. Um, as you know, the government has a lot of stimulus out there, and there's certainly, I think, some something in that for everybody. And we've encouraged them to look into that to help them so they don't have to lay off their employees, because we know that's really important. You guys see all the unemployment numbers, uh, significant impact uh, on the economy here as well. So we're supporting them with uh, our government affairs teams to support them to get local support where they need it. Thank you, Joy. Um, a question for for anyone and everyone who wants to step up. So Matt Kerbel, Kerbel, hopefully I'm pronouncing this right, from Canoe. He runs marketing at Canoe. He says, as marketing leaders, how do you envision your marketing organization, strategy, and culture will change after the crisis once it's back to business as usual? Will things go back the way they were, or will they change in a very meaningful way? Who wants to jump in? Hey, it's Michael. I'll take that one. Hi, Michael. How are you guys? Tuning in from the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So one thing on this question that I think is really important is probably all of us are going to value flexibility a lot more than we have in the past. I, I, we've had to make decisions, changes in decisions, sometimes four and five times in a day based on a very dynamic situation. What's happening with customers? What's happening with the government? What's on message? What, what kinds of behaviors are we seeing? What uh, decisions are local governments making? And whether it's uh, uh, with our content and our content delivery, and particularly in our media distribution for paid, uh, and as well as is how we activate our own channels, uh, and some of the traditional SLAs that we have for own channels need for longer cycle times than you need to, to be um, relevant in a crisis like this. So I think one will just put a huge premium on flexibility. I think the second thing is that we will have developed new routines for how to manage through this disruptive of an environment that maybe we had pieces of them before, but not fully baked in terms of how to navigate through a crisis of, of this magnitude. So those two things come to mind for me. Makes a lot of sense. Carla? 
Can I, can I also uh, just add to that? I think the type of leaders that are going to be valued coming out of this is going to be dramatically different. I think that, you know, historically folks that had softer skills that, you know, uh, that were um, that in addition to obviously the, the managing of the business, I think were undervalued. And now that we're coming out of this, I think this notion of how leaders can be both vulnerable and decisive at the same time, care about the teams that they have, I think is absolutely going to change. And it's going to change because now that leaders have started to do that and their teams are appreciating that, I actually think that now it's going to be expected that you're going to be a leader that actually leads with empathy in addition to driving the business, obviously. But I just think that the pressure on leaders and the kind of leader that is going to rise to the top coming out of this is going to be critically important. It's going to change dramatically, I think. Yeah, last week, I don't know if you had the chance to tune in last week, but uh, Mindy Grossman, Jeff Immelt, it was all about humility at this yeah. time of leader. Yeah, and what I loved, um, I really loved last week, uh, Jeff Immelt said, um, a crisis like this is a pass-fail test for mm-hmm. leadership. Yeah, absolutely. I keep saying leaders are born in times like this and you can mm-hmm. see it even on your own team, the people that put their hands up to do something or even if it's the most mundane of things or people that are leaning in or someone who says, you know what, I have a little bit of capacity and I see over here these folks are overwhelmed. How can I help them? They're just, they want to be in that room where it happens and it's uh, those are the kinds of leaders I think that are going to be much more valued moving forward. So, Perfect. Yeah, just to, add one, just to add one thing on that, and I think it maybe it was what Jeff was alluding to as well. Um, you know, never let a good crisis go uh, by, right? And so what can you do to make sure your organization is as fit uh, as possible is one thing we're looking at. How should we change? And, and to, uh, I think, the points of the first gentleman that spoke, um, if we can do it this quickly in crisis, why can't we do it quicker? And so how do, we're calling it, how are we going to change the way we work? Um, what are going to be the new protocols for how we work and how do we take advantage of the fact that we've been put into this situation and are working differently? What, what are those things do we they carry with us and we don't look back? And I think that's something for all marketers to consider that's gone through the crisis and how they can be, you know, more agile, more fit and more effective coming out the other side. That's you're, something you're reading our mind because that is a future webinar topic. <laughs> Um, around behavior change at work. Uh, but with that, I want to bring up one of the greatest minds in marketing, Ross Martin. You want to take yourself off a of mute? You Ross can, Martin is in the house. Talking, if you want to keep talking about me, like I'll stand on mute the whole time. Um, if you guys don't know Ross, uh, you should follow him uh, and also listen to his podcast with Shelly Palmer. It's awesome. Ross, You've had such an interesting year because at the beginning of the year, you announced a big merger with your company. And so first I want to talk to you founder to founder. Let's do it. You you run a several hundred person agency now known as Known, and you work across a very diverse set of clients. How has Corona impacted your business given that you just went through a merger? Well, so I, I just had you on my podcast. It's coming out next week. And I asked you that question. I think it's very uncomfortable to answer that when you're doing well in the midst of a crisis, right? We built our company not knowing this was going to happen, but the way we built our company for the new economy, and just like you did, just like Anda did. And I think what we're seeing here is this is an extinction event for, and it's horrible, for hundreds of thousands of SMBs 
who are literally dying right before our eyes. And there's very little we can do to stop that. Um, and yet there's a new breed of businesses that were built for the new economy um, who can easily work from home like this for a long time. In our case, 250 people doing it, but um, supporting a hundred clients. Um, and so I don't know, it's awkward to be in a situation where things are going well. I, we don't want to parade on anybody's reign, but we, we were, prepared for this kind of thing, not knowing anything like this would happen. But from the, the nature of the services that you guys provide, the actual work, has the scope of work changed in the past four weeks or are you still doing the same things for clients? I don't think the scope of, of work has changed dramatically, to be honest with you. I think our methodology is just more effective in a new economy. So, I mean, the, but the fact is like, what we're also seeing is that if your company and your brand had a very powerful operating system before, but didn't have a belief system, all of a sudden everyone knows it, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they work for your company or they don't. And so mm -hmm. we are getting a lot of inbound calls going, uh, not only is our business model not working right now and are we in crisis mode, but we, in this very moment, we actually don't know who we are as a brand or a business. We don't know what we stand for or what we stand against. So the businesses that haven't done that work before today are finding it much more difficult to survive in the midst of chaos and, and um, confusion. Who do you, what brands are navigating this well right now? Well, so I thought you might ask that question. I, I kind of, I have this like sort of 10 point scale of thinking about it because we've been thinking about this for now three weeks and it's very clear um, where you fit on the scale, right? So if you think about these things as sort of like spheres of engagement in the crisis, you, you've got the first ring, which would be, those businesses that have become instruments of the government, not because they wanted to, but because I used to make cars and the federal government just told me to make ventilators. I don't have a choice. The second would be partners of the government, like Procter & Gamble is a very good example of that. So is Unilever. Moving further out, you get to strategic force, right? So I'm a brand and I'm a business that actually could do good in this kind of pandemic. What am I going to do? And so one of our clients is um, Alibaba USA, perfectly positioned to champion small and medium-sized businesses in America, and they're doing it. Also perfectly positioned to help state and local governments procure the PPEs and other protective equipment, other necessary equipment for frontline responders. So Alibaba USA, though they're not talking about it publicly, I'll say here, like deserves a hell of a lot of credit for using their position in the global supply chain to help procure what is needed at the state and local level when the federal government hasn't been able to do that as well in all cases. Next, moving out further, you get to sponsors, people who are brands who are not positioned like Alibaba to do that kind of thing, but instead are giving tons of money to relief organizations. Then we go further out to those who want to participate, right? Um, who uh, are either um, stepping up to be there for their clients like Carla and City are doing or are amplifying the work of other brands and businesses um, and championing the work that they're doing. And then we get further out into participants, brands that just want to feel like they're part of this. And yeah. sometimes that's a little awkward. Um, depends on how you think about it. Like Oreo's campaign is stay playful, um, have fun. I mean, you know, it depends on if, if you've got a family member in your home with COVID-19 and you've got three kids and you're a single mom, I don't really know that that's working, but maybe it is for some. And then you get to the end of, the, of my spheres and you get to the opportunists, the idiots, and then the predators and the assholes. 
Wow. Where are those degenerates? Well, most of them are in agencies. So. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. I mean, that's a really helpful frame of reference, but there's, there's also this real actuality, right? Where you need to stay in business to keep a roof over your own head and your team's head. Yeah. So how do you balance being a good citizen as a brand and still running your business? Yeah. I, and I think it was raised earlier and I think, and Jeff said it last week too. Many have said it, that this is the moment of truth. As Carla was saying, leaders are forged in moments like this. And th this is when it's not just your customers or investors that are looking at you um, or your partners, it's your own employees. And we've seen it time and time again, especially over the last two years, there's no neutral here, right? So, so you will be remembered for what you did do and for what you didn't do. And that's terrifying. That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, because there are forces acting upon us that we've never actually had to confront before. Here's what we tell our clients, and it's three things. One, protect and defend your people and your business at all costs. Do whatever you possibly can to protect your people and your business. Done. Mm -hmm. Number two, use this moment, if you possibly can, to strengthen your core. This is that moment you have a chance right now to try to fix the things that weren't working before this pandemic. Um, the pandemic happened, you're at home, you've got a ton of responsibilities in your life, Every, we're refactoring everything, but you have a chance right now to strengthen your core. And number three, prepare to emerge in the new economy. Mm. What we are witnessing before, I referred to it as um, an extinction event, it is. Like what's dying is not just SMBs, but our old economy is dying in our arms. Like it's right here and it's dying. And what is being born right next to it is a new economy that you know, some will make it, some were born for this moment, and some will be, be born from it. But prepare to be, at least begin to understand the new drivers of consumer behavior, the new characteristics of extraordinary leaders. We're, we're doing a study, we'll be done with it, and I'll give it to you in about two weeks, phase one, on those new characteristics of consumers and leaders and brands and businesses that we believe will succeed. Mm. in the new economy. Micmac is one of them, so is Notch. Um, there are Great, many things. But there are others that, that people haven't heard of yet that, that, that are emerging, right? I'll give you one, a company on the West Coast called Sphere from Canada. It's an online coaching business. It's sort of like ClassPass mm -hmm. coaching. Um, and, and it's run by Devin Brooks. It, it, it's, it's, it's providing such a critical utility to those of us who are home, confused, worried about our finances, our relationship, our career. Um, and that's the kind of business that was prepared to take advantage of the new economy and add value. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ross. I feel like one day a book's going to be coming out from you called No Neutral. Um, but appreciate all those insights. Thank you. Anda, who's next? And thank you for featuring both of our companies. Appreciate that. Next up, we have Lauren from Square. Um, Lauren, welcome. You run marketing and brand at Square, and Square's made all the headlines in the last few days. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's been to be on the other side of that? Yeah, well, thank you for having me and for giving me a reason to actually put on a nice shirt today. So uh, yeah. it's great to be here. I actually um, yeah. you here, so that, that was yeah. a big achievement. Me too. <laughs> um, so uh, it's, been, it's been really... Um, crazy busy being at Square, but also obviously, like I think hearing everyone else talk, like we, our customers are very much um, 
at the heart and soul of what we do. And they're obviously being impacted greatly by what's happening right now. So we've been changing pretty much everything that we do (laughs) as a marketing team over the last couple of weeks. So really, I would say for us, we've just pivoted our focus on what can we do to help right now. And so that includes like where we can provide relief for our customers, but also just really like accelerating things in our roadmap, making it easier for our customers, like if you're a restaurant to be able to have curbside pickup and delivery, which is something that you couldn't get before um, if you were using Square. And so just really accelerating those features, making sure that our customers understand that we have those things. working on gift card solutions and and creating more awareness so that customers understand how they can support businesses in their community by buying gift cards. So it's been it's been a really interesting time. Definitely things are moving really quickly and um, every week we're changing what we do. And then obviously yesterday was a was a big announcement from Jack, which is was pretty remarkable. Does, does Jack actually give you a heads up before he makes those announcements? Or does he just make them and you have to <laughs> I knew yesterday in the morning that was coming, so okay. a little bit of a heads up, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's obviously, it's it's a little bit separate from Square, but um, I think I think it's very much like Jack is our CEO and, and his sentiment and his like concern, and I think this also goes back to what Ross was saying, like our mission is really to help small business owners like succeed, and so um, I mean, I think that's something that comes very much from Jack. It's always at Square been about how do we level the playing field? How do we give more people access to financial tools and make things a little bit easier and more accessible than they were before? And so it's not surprising. I mean, I think it's amazing what Jack is doing. And I think that for us, like, it's been easy for us to figure out what role we play in this because we're a very mission driven company. And so we're just really like doing what we always um, I think do as a brand, but just really, I would say just moving faster than ever just to try to figure out like all the ways that we can help. What's really been, I know, I know you just actually brought on board a new agency. You probably had a lot of great plans before the crisis hit. Um, How have you seen that change in light of the crisis? Have you had to pivot the entire creative? Are you still moving forward with some of it? Um, Or are you, are you kind of backing out and not doing much? I would say that we're, we, this was a big year for Square. I think it was going to be the year where we, we did, we do have a new agency and we were planning to do a big brand campaign. We're not, we're pausing that for the moment. I think right now, like for our stance personally around brand is like, we want to service solutions. We're not really there to sell right now. We're, we're putting up a lot of resources. We're providing like webinars and tools and educational services and content and things that really help our customers adapt right now because we think that's the most important thing. And it just didn't, we don't want it to be about us and our brand right now. Like our brand is where we really want to be there to support our customers. And so we're not moving forward at the moment with anything that we have planned to do for 2020. And we actually like pulled down almost all of our campaigns and then put different campaigns up that really talk about solutions people need right now versus the things that they potentially needed before. So we started initially with more contactless payment moments, and then we just pivoted completely to how can you offer like pickup delivery, um, online payments, and how can you really run your business more remotely? And then we also had our, um, like we took customers that were restaurant owners in Seattle and had them do webinars to talk to restaurant owners 
in the rest of the country because we know that those businesses were impacted first in the country in terms of just like how Seattle really went into lockdown mode early on. And so we had a lot of them share like the ways that they were adapting and how they were trying to keep their business up and running during this obviously really challenging time. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to look into um, is to understand how are consumers reacting to different forms of content. So inspirational versus utility versus empathy versus CSR stories and to see what kind of ranks at the top. And we didn't really know. We didn't kind of have any assumptions going into it. But I personally thought that it might be more about inspiration and empathy. And actually turns out that utility driven content was the most appreciated um, followed by empathy, followed by uh, inspiration, and then at the bottom was kind of the CSR side of things. How are you guys thinking about the type of content that you're pushing out? How, how are you breaking it down into different buckets? I would say like pretty much 100% of what we're doing is really about utility right now, but with an empathetic tone. So we've changed like all of our messaging guidelines for everyone that creates content and for any of our copy. And I think we've like I think we have a really wide range square in terms of like tone and the way that we talk to customers, but we've kind of just like really been all about utility because we know that small business owners right now, they just need help, right? They need resources. And so it's not a time for us to be playful or to make, to, to really get in the way of doing anything other than giving them resources as quickly as possible that will help them succeed. So we've been completely like utility focused and then we've had a very empathetic tone. So we are really making sure that we're not pretending that anything is business as usual. And so I think that's just like a new lens in terms of how we look at copy for ad copy, for content copy, because we think that that's like making light and not acknowledging a place. Like I think initially we were sort of hesitant because not all small business owners. I mean, I think this whole pandemic, things happened really quickly. And so in the very, very beginning, and I would say Square was one of the first companies to institute a work from home policy. So I think this is now my fifth week of working from home. So we've been doing it for a while. Um, and so it seemed like, and initially when we were talking to our customers, they weren't very concerned, but it very quickly went from them being not that concerned to very concerned. And so we very quickly adjusted like the way that we were messaging them. I have a question for actually both you and Ariel, because you're, you're the representatives of the tech companies on the panel. Um, when, when we hear from our VCs, um, we, we hear either, you know, cut everything and make sure that you're being very efficient, which includes marketing, or we hear actually doubling down on marketing and R&D and product during this time um, is going to be what sets you apart and what really kind of has you coming out as a successful company um, out of the crisis. How are you guys thinking at the level of the company about the function of marketing and product during this time? I, I you want me to start? Uh, okay, go ahead, Ariel. Yeah, so um, it's kind of funny. Uh, uh, what I'm getting, which I think is probably, we'll, we'll see, Lauren, if it's the same thing for you, is being asked at the same time to both save money and double down on helping our salespeople uh, be successful. And, uh, and, and I think the thing that's actually made it a little bit easier because um, from a budget perspective is that these events, the, the, a bunch of the money that we would spend, it was decision-making was taken out of our hands. In, in January and February, let's say in February it wasn't, we were making a bunch of our own decisions. But once a bunch of these events started getting cut, then there was money that uh, could be freed up. 
And so, you know, figuring out how much that is, is difficult. But, um, you know, there's an obvious realization in the company that, hey, you know what, we're going to be spending less regardless, you know, if we don't do without doing anything different, cutting any programs or getting rid of any people, we're just going to save some money. So we've been sort of policing up, you know, that to help, you know, help the company overall, but at the same time, accelerating on a bunch of other areas. Thank you. Lauren? Yeah, I would say for us, um, we have been sort of doubling down on the product side to really accelerate things that are on our product roadmap that we think will really help our customers right now. So on that side of the house, I would say if anything, we've pivoted resources into areas of our business that we know will be most helpful right now. And it's actually been just incredibly inspiring to see how the company can pivot really quickly and align more resources against those initiatives. And then on the marketing side, I think just like a lot of our messages, we just didn't think are appropriate for this time. And so we did pull them off because we just don't want to be overly salesy. And I think also just given the nature of our business and how it works, there's a lot of things that just don't make sense right now and would have come across as tone deaf. And so we did pull back a lot of our spend in those areas. And then we're reassessing right now just to see like, if we feel like things will be really helpful in creating awareness around solutions, a lot of the things that our customers are using right now are not the things that Square is the most well-known for. And so it's an interesting time for us to think about how far we lean in. And I think we're also just like waiting to see a little bit, like there's a lot of demand for the things that we offer. So how much of that can we capture organically versus where we really need to, to put paid spend behind it? Yeah, Anda, really, I think, yeah. If I may, I think that question applies to every industry, not just technology. You know, with regard to spending more or stop spending, play defense and shut it down or play offense and double down. I think what we've been seeing for weeks or months, um, ever since this became a possibility, was less about that for the healthiest companies and more about accounting for your spend and proving results more than ever before. And, and if you can do that, what we're seeing from the best marketers on the planet, I, I see every day, is that they're, they're, they're using the tools at their disposal, especially advanced advertising and evidence-based marketing, to actually put points on the board on a daily basis because they're precise and they're surgical with their spend. And then when they're called out and you know your CFO is looking at your numbers, like they're inscrutable. Uh, if you're not doing that, if you're marketing the old way, then you have a problem. Yeah. Uh, there was an article in Ad Age on Monday that Jack Neff put out that essentially analyzes the 2008 crash, the 2000 crash, and brands that spent, and they're the ones that stood the test of time. So everyone should Google that and check it out. I think it's, it's time for a poll, right, Anda? Yeah, so uh, we're going to do the poll. We're going to announce it now, and then we're going to show the results after the next speaker. Uh, and thank you, Lauren for every, all the commentary. Uh, so here is the poll. Has your target audience been satisfied with your company's response to COVID? Yes, no, or not so sure? Let us know. By the way, all the folks who are panelists on the call are our target audience. Um, so I'm gonna say yes, <laughs> because you're on the webinar. I gave myself a yes too. Oh good, okay. Yeah, we're doing a good job. Um, guys, this is what Anda and I do all day long, is just text each other that we're doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. Um, just um, so, 
Let's see who's next. Uh, so next, next up, we have um, Reggie Walker from PwC. Hi, Reggie. Welcome. I think you're tuning in from Atlanta. I am tuning in from Atlanta, and I'm very happy to be tuning in from Atlanta. <laughs> Reggie, uh, you're the uh, chief commercial officer at PwC, and the marketing function actually reports into you. Um, the two of us have had a couple of conversations over the last seven days or so, and uh, I know that you feel very strongly. On, on the topic of whether brands should be out there or whether they should hold back. And so without further ado, I'm just going to let you riff for a little bit and just share with us your strong feelings. Well, I, well so I do think, I mean, to be clear, I think brands should definitely be out there, but I think brands should be out there aligned with their values. And I think brands should be out there in alignment with the tone that's necessary today. Um, and let me, just a little color on that, just to give everybody some perspective what Anna and I were talking about. We, um, Look, I, I, everybody said a lot of the same stuff that, we're, that I would say. I mean, we're a, we're a B2B business and we actually serve a lot of the, uh, of the other companies that the panelists uh, represent here on, uh, on, uh, you know, on, the, uh, on the webcast. But I, um, you know, we, we came out of the gate and, you know, the first thing for us is a lot of companies, I mean, a lot of you and a lot of companies are looking to us for help, right, for answers. Um, we were a knowledge-based business. We're here to help consult with our clients. We obviously have a very diverse business from, the audit business, which right now is a big business concerning the financial impacts that are happening, our tax business, which is a big business considering the CARES Fund, um, CARES Act and what's coming down there and what's happening on that side. And then the consulting business as well uh, to respond to, to, you know, it's a lot of companies are thinking about one, how do we respond in the short term, but how to respond in the long term. And so right out of the gate, the first thing that we had to do, and, and I think it was said early, earlier that agility is probably one of the most important things that a marketing function can have at a time like this. And quite honestly, I think it's going to be that way for a long time. Um, and so we had to very quickly pivot out of the gate immediately with, you know, uh, bringing together our own point of view for the market and what our clients are looking for. And, um, and not just talking in platitudes. You can't do that. But if you're us, you really have to be very fact-based and, uh, data-driven and really try to help our clients go through this. But that was the first step coming out of it was one, how do we help our clients and respond to this as quickly as we possibly can? How do we get our point of view uh, uh, out into the marketplace so that our clients can, uh, can benefit from that? And then how do we, you know, we obviously have, we own the last mile in our business. So how do we take that directly into the hands of our partners and our people and get it to our clients? And so as a marketing function, that was the very first thing that we had to, we had to address. Um, and I'm very proud of the team. They reacted incredibly quickly. Um, everything from creative to content development, uh, very quickly moving to remove uh, things that would be out of place or inappropriate at this time from our social channels. Um, we stopped a lot. I mean, just like everybody else talked about here, that was, also, that was both a relevant uh, move as much as it is a cost move. I mean, we have to really think, you know, we got to think about that, which brings me to the second point. And I think Ross said this and said it well, uh, we came out very publicly and made a commitment to our people um, early on that um, the best thing that we could do uh, for uh, the economy, the best thing that we could do for our own organization was to retain, you know, we got 240,000 people globally and 55,000 in the U.S. And the best thing that we could do is do everything we can to retain those people and make layoffs a very last resort. Um, and we came out of the gate early on that because we wanted to give our people that sense of comfort, right? Because one, they're feeling a lot of anxiety. Their new normal has changed quite a bit. You've got people working at home with their kids and trying to balance. You know, we still have a pretty heavy workload. We're 
we've been for a long time fairly virtual in the way that we work and we operate. Obviously, we, we do work on our client sites, but we also pivot to working from home. Uh, but now you've got everybody there. And so we want to take that stress off of everyone. And then, and then we had to put all of our resources into how do we make that happen. So a lot of cost cutting, uh, reducing our budgets when it comes to marketing uh, in particular. Um, some of that was easy. I mean, it was easy to cancel events. That, that's the right thing to do and it was a smart thing to do. Some of it's a little bit more difficult. Um, how much do you retain to, when you're thinking ahead? Where do you invest in our business in terms of uh, what we think are going to be the businesses that help to carry us out of this going forward? Um, but we've been able to do that all through the lens of first and foremost, um, are we going to, is it better to save a dollar to save a person or is it better to spend a dollar and maybe potentially create some revenue stream future, you know, in the future. And so that decision process has been fairly easy as a look at it. So my view on that on it was, I still see a lot of firms out there putting a lot of money behind paid and I respect that. But you know, my view is, is there's a lot more, and I think this is where the opportunity for us as marketers to look at different channels. And um, you know, we certainly are using earned very effectively. We have a CFO survey now that we've got out. We have our chairman doing that every two weeks. The next one will be next Monday. You can read about it. Um, so looking in those channels and ways that we don't have to spend money, uh, going direct to our customers. Um, and I think that's gonna have us, you know, and we do measure, I, someone said like, you know, it's very, very important now to be really measure the results of what you're doing um, because every dollar matters. And so I think we're going to find that there are very effective ways for us to reach our clients and to reach our target audience that maybe don't require the level of investment that we made in the past. Um, and I think that's something that we're going to learn a lot from as we go through this. One of the things that um, we were talking about, and hopefully you're comfortable sharing some of this, is the... Um, the movement from uh, paid to potentially more on the owned and operated side. Are you using your owned and operated kind of your internal resources a lot more? And how are you seeing some of those efficiencies play out from, especially from like a content thought leadership standpoint, which is so important to you, especially as you're trying to coach your customers through this? Yeah, a hundred percent on that. We, we definitely leveraging a lot more of our own internal creative capacity, um, our internal, um, I mean, from a thought leadership perspective, it generally is, you know, it's our point of view typically because it's our partners and that's what we do. Uh, but again, a lot of, we're leveraging a lot more of our own resources and moving people around quite a bit. And by the way, we're creating a lot of great opportunities for people. So you might have people that did event marketing uh, that we're now asking to pivot and help us in some other areas of marketing where we are seeing a, a real uptick in demand. By the way, I, if you ask our marketing team right now, they tell you that they're working harder than they've worked probably in you know, the last year and they work hard normally um, because of a lot of what we're having to do, but it's providing a lot of opportunities for people as well. That makes sense. Thank you so much, Reggie. Appreciate it. Um, so next up, we have Michael Lacorata from Wells Fargo. Uh, Michael, welcome. You run uh, integrated marketing across all of Wells Fargo. You are seeing kind of firsthand how it feels to be on the financial side of the house during this crisis. Tell us a little bit about what are some of the big decisions that you had to make as soon as you jumped into the crisis? Um, maybe some of the big decisions that, you know, the day before you didn't think you would have to make and all of a sudden you were thrown into the mix of them. Sure. Yeah. Well, well going into the crisis late last year, we had a, a, a plan in place that was very focused on, on, uh, product acquisition investments, less on the brand side and more on, on the acquisition side, considering the strength of the economy as a, as a financial services company, our, our tides, our, our fortunes tend to rise or fall with, with the strength of the economy. 
And there was a lot of demand across the board for lending products, for deposit products, for the different solutions, investing the, di the different types of advice that people needed. And so that was our plan um, for 2020 going into the end of, uh, through the end of last year. And, and of course, everything changed. And what we realized right away was we needed to ask ourselves what was most important in service of our customers right now. And what was most important in service of our team members right now? And what was most important in service of our communities? Because the, the, the triangulation of those three stakeholder groups is, is, is really, really important. Investors are as well, but it's a different kind of, it's a different sort of vibe for how you, how you manage that piece. And on the, on the customer side, what we realized is that there are four themes that were coming through. One was people that were directly impacted by COVID and had cash crunch issues. They might have lost their jobs. Um, we're looking for help or accommodations for how they could defer payments and get other sorts of financial help uh, and maybe sometimes access to credit. There was an access side, which is, hey, I'm, I'm seeing potentially bank branches closing. How do I get access to my money? How do I get access to the information? And so there was a huge like, digital activation for us around helping people make that transition if they hadn't. You know, the third was was for, for our customers that have investing relationships and even those that don't, how do I need to think about navigating through this market volatility? How do I think about my 401k? So there's an investment advice part of this. Um, and then for businesses, whether they're small businesses or whether they're very large businesses, it was all about liquidity and staying, right? staying, staying in business and what needs to happen. And so that, those are the kind of the four key theme areas that we've been leaning in really hard on um, to try and reach those audiences uh, sometimes more successfully than others, um, which I can share. And then, and then the other big decisions that we made were we have hundreds of campaigns happening at any given time and experiments and things going on. So we had to catalog exactly which, what do we think in this environment should continue? What should we pause? What needs to be changed? What needs to be canceled? And, uh, and that was a kind of a rapid fire, you know, 24 hour exercise of really getting in there and then refining the list and then assigning out a, a set of prioritization, uh, a prioritization set for what we're going to tackle first. Uh, it's, it's easier sometimes to turn some things off than it is to make changes, but some things you want to continue, but you know, you might, for example, we might have a credit card that has a travel value proposition, right? So when travel is shut down in the world, probably not the thing that you want to be out there with, right? And Roger probably knows that pretty well. He's got products like that. So, so those are the kinds of things that we focused on. And then as a, as a you know, um, structurally important institution globally, we have these other sets of inputs that were ever-changing and unclear with government decisions around geographies that were being shut down, policymakers, this, you know, the Paycheck Protection Program. And what we found, as you might expect, is, you know, the expectation of our customers and small business owners is as soon as Congress, you know, passes this bill and the president signs it, it's already done and where's my money? But the reality is we had to, in a matter of days, build a, a new lending system. We had many questions from the regulators and, and the government about how these loans need to be underwritten and treated and the qualifications that hadn't been answered yeah, the government was saying it's ready to go. <laughs> and the reality was it wasn't exactly ready to go, but, you know, pieces of it were. So a lot of adaptation. So those have been kind of the main decisions. And now there's a little bit more stabilization happening, I think, in terms of um, how we're accommodating customers, although we're seeing an acceleration of people that are impacted 
And so we're trying to get in front of as many of them as we can using both paid and owned channels to, um, to get our messaging architecture in place. We've also been doing a lot of work to segment what type of customer relationships need to hear what types of message, um, which, which in, in service of relevance, right? And uh, it's, it's not easy to do that. Um, but when you have, when, we're, when you're like us and you have 70 million customers serving one in three households in America and 20% of small businesses, people have very different types of needs and, and there, there is not a one size fits all answer for, for how to navigate through this. What we, um, what we have de-emphasized is, is an overarching kind of brand theme around this. And we've, we've, we have made it more functional in nature just by design and just because we needed to be um, directly in service of what question needed to be answered. Um, we're working right. now on some, uh, on a thematic like that can sum that up. Yes. You said that you de-emphasized the brand architecture? Yeah, what I would say is like, we didn't start with what should the overarching brand message be around all of this and then here's our brand message and then have everything kind of hang off it. We really started with a practical bottoms up, what does each customer profile and relationship need to hear from us right now? And we were also navigating through the service model. You have call center challenges, you have branch closures, you have you know, people complaining that your lobbies are open, social media, like all these kinds of moving pieces. Um, but I think now we're in a place where we, we may be ready to do that, to put a bit of a stake in the ground, to just tell a story about how we're helping more, in a more comprehensive way, in a, in a, in a branded way. But it wasn't, it wasn't our first priority. Our first priority was, was serving our, our audiences. That, and I think that makes a lot of sense, and you should be uh, applauded for that. Um, just out of curiosity, what has been the feedback so far from, from your audience? What, what did you answer on the poll? Did you think that? You yeah, I wrote no. I wrote no because, oh, yeah, and I, in, you know, what I'd say is that um, there's been a lot of effort put into this, and, and we know that we are helping people. We know that we are making a difference. But the scale and the magnitude of the people that we're reaching that need to get the content that we have does not reach the kind of penetration levels that we want to see for a number of different reasons. Um, and, uh, and so I think, I think if you were to pull our customers right now, I think some people would say that we're doing a job of helping them. And some people would say, I don't feel like I've heard enough depending on what their situation is. And part of one of the things that we're architecting right now today is a very comprehensive view of the delivery of the different messages about what, uh, across what kinds of audience profiles and channels. So here's one example. So, you know, you, you, you blast out an email to millions and millions of customers with critical information they need to know about COVID. And you don't necessarily have email addresses on every one of your population, right? Only some, maybe the vast majority you do, but maybe only 30 to 50% of them even open the email. So you've tried to communicate to them and you could say, quote unquote, you, there is a reach play in there, but if they didn't open it and didn't process it, they didn't really hear the information. So you have, to, you have to design other touch points along the way that can get in front of them in the way that they want to consume the content if they're interested in consuming the content. So part of it is a delivery piece, right? And understanding how that works across all the channels. What I think is interesting in what you said is that you feel like you have to do more to create more content and get it in we front do. of more people. 
Um, yes. I think that's, that's really on the side of, you know, wanting to lean in to making sure that that content is getting them the value that, that they deserve and that they need during this time. Um, thank you so much, Michael. I, I, we're going to come back uh, with a few more questions from the audience, but I want Rachel to, to share with us the results from the poll. Sorry, well, from the results from the poll. Funny that Michael said he gave himself a no because I have the raw numbers in front of me. And Michael, you might be one of the only honest people on this webinar because only two people said no. <laughs> so I think that there's a lot about Anda and I that we've found a group of people that give themselves positive reinforcement. So six, <laughs> around 60% of the group said yes, 40% said not so sure. Um, so that is actually, and then 1% no. So that is quite fascinating about the group of people that we have on here. So I think with that, we are moving into our next yeah. person. Our next speaker is um, Raja, Raja Manar. Um, Raja is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at MasterCard, and he's also the president of the healthcare business at MasterCard. Um, it's an honor to introduce you, Raja. You are one of the thought leaders in our space. Um, you really uh, not just talk the talk, but also walk the walk in many different ways from supporting entrepreneurs to the actual work you do at MasterCard. Um, so welcome. And I would love to kick it off by um, asking you a question that wasn't on the list. <laughs> so sorry about that. But I would love to hear from you actually from the perspective of the healthcare side of things. What are you seeing in the healthcare business at MasterCard? What can you share with us? Uh, firstly, and uh, thank you very much for having me here uh, with this August uh, group of other CMOs. Uh, very honored to be here. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, so, you know, there are two hats I wear in my healthcare. One is with MasterCard as the head of the uh, healthcare business, uh, which in fact, ironically, I started about three and a half years back here. And I also serve on the boards of a not-for-profit hospital chain called Mercy Hospital. Uh, and I'm seeing a lot uh, from both these two different directions, which is very scary. Uh, firstly, from the hospital's side, uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, enough has, enough has been said about the shortfall or shortage of masks and the protective gear uh, for the doctors and the healthcare workers. Uh, unfortunately, till now, it's not being uh, taken care of yet. Uh, for example, for this hospital chain, they needed 600,000 face masks. Uh, for the doctors and for the other nurses and uh, nursing assistants and so on, they received 150,000. So now they are asking, you go back and you know, spray some disinfectant on it, put it in the microwave oven. You know, it's like a ridiculous length that these folks have to go, number one. Number two, healthcare workers are beginning to fall sick. And uh, they are firstly working very long hours in a very selfless way. They're putting themselves in the harm's way all the time. And uh, they're not getting the support. Plus, now when they're falling sick, their families are getting worried. And the level of, I would say, ab absenteeism or people going on leave from the healthcare workers side is actually going up. With the result of which, patients are getting, getting less lesser attention. So the demand is going up and the capacity to take care of this demand is actually not there to begin with. And now it's becoming even more uh, serious and medicines are not available. Uh, and some of the medicines, we don't even know if they are the right ones or not. So that now even you know, people who have nothing to do with medicine have become experts and proclaiming, oh, chloroquine is the best one that you have to actually do. 
And the damn thing has got a lot of side effects that we don't even know it's going to cure or not. And people are already prematurely saying, let's open up. America needs to get back to business or whichever country needs to get back to business. The reality is that can lead to a second wave of the pandemic and that's very scary. Uh, so I think the situation is pretty dire, unfortunately, from the healthcare perspective, we will see. Uh, hospitals are seeing increasing losses. So I'm now coming to the MasterCard side of the house. What we are seeing is that uh, a lot of hospitals, they get money from two pockets. Pocket number one from individual patients who have to do copay. And the second one is from the government or from the insurance companies or from the employers. For the medium and large sized companies or maybe the larger sized companies, there are no payment issues that they're having. But from the small and medium businesses, they're not getting their monies. It's not that they will go into bad debt, but currently the payments are getting uh, no, uh, very slack. And then you have also got the insurance companies that are taking their own sweet time. They would not accelerate anything. And hospitals actually typically, because bulk of the hospitals are not for profit, they are operating with very tight cash flow situation. And when they don't have cash, that's going to be a problem. Now to uh, the previous point, uh, which was made, uh, you know, uh, from my colleague from uh, Wells Fargo, is absolutely right. When the government is declaring something, people are expecting that it's going to happen immediately. So when the government says, okay, we'll give you this, we'll give you that and all that stuff, it is not happening, either to the businesses yet and definitely not to the healthcare system. Uh, so overall, I would say, unfortunately, the situation is dire. The level of hospital admissions are sort of slowly, they're beginning to uh, stabilize to some extent, but deaths will continue to go up. Uh, but the, the, the leading indicator, which is hospitalization, is probably a slight sliver in the darkness, uh, you know, so far, if you were to see. But it's a lot to wait and see what happens. Given this, given this perspective that you have from the front lines of what's happening on the healthcare front, how, how are you then switching your mindset into the marketer mindset? And what are you choosing to do, and even more importantly, not to do, because of what you're seeing on the health side of things? See, firstly, I think whether I'm doing the healthcare or on the marketing side, I have to be a human being first and foremost, behave like one and understand other human beings. Uh, and just put yourself in the consumer's shoes and say, how would you like to be treated at this point in time? So from a marketing point of view, the worst a marketing marketer can do at this point in time is to try to sell something. This is the time to serve people, not sell something to them, number one. Number two, don't go for short-term gain. And I have been a victim myself. When I was looking for some disinfectant uh, solutions and wipes, because people are buying them like crazy, and I did not react fast enough and jump the queue and follow all over uh, to grab these things. So when I came to the show too late, so to speak, when I wanted to see my God, it's like 14, 15 times the price during normal time. Now, what these are reputed brands, reputed retailers, right? And I think they will break the trust. The last thing you would want to do is to exploit the vulnerability and the helplessness of your consumers. Don't do that. So when you say there are a lot of things we should not be doing, don't do advertisements at them for the sake of you know, advertisements. Do something good for them. Serve them. The time is not to show off your brand and how great you are, how great your brand is, but be humble, understand the situation that everyone is in. Don't be tone deaf. 
be in touch and then do something. Yes, we are not all philanthropic organizations. So we have got a business to run. We have to do it, but do it with sensitivity and sensibility, not stupidly and in a deaf kind of a manner. So Raja, does that mean, does that mean that um, you should stop all type of advertising and all type of paid media? Or does that mean that you change the message and you try to be of service to people in the messaging and in the dollars that you're spending behind advancing that messaging? See, there are two things. First and foremost, your message has to be on point to your brand. During crisis and normal time, your brand positioning does not change. Your brand positioning is there for a long, for a long time. So if you start reacting and changing your brand positioning, you'll be in trouble. Your brand will not have that consistent image, right? Uh, like, you know, I have got 35 years of experience now. And I've gone through three crises before. Nothing close to the magnitude of what we are going through right now. But the previous one was uh, uh, we had uh, uh, the financial crisis, 2002-2009. I was in Citibank at that time. And prior to that, I was in the dot-com bubble. I was still in Citibank at the time. And before that, uh, it was the, uh, in between, it was the 9-11, uh, which happened 2001. So three different crises I have seen. There is nothing which comes close to this in terms of the globality and the extent of magnitude and the long-term effect that it's going to have on the economy uh, and how probably there'll be a recessionary kind of a situation for a long time to come. That's my view and I hope I'm wrong on that. Uh, but what I can certainly tell you is that the good brands and the good companies stayed honest to their brand values, stayed uh, consistent in terms of their brand positioning throughout. So you don't sort of change your colors like a chameleon depending on the situation. Your messaging has to be contextually appropriate. If somebody is crying, you cannot go and tell them, oh, have a fantastic dinner outside or have a luxurious, you buy this jewelry kind of a thing. That will fall flat on the face. If your product category happens to be those kind of products, take a pause, step back, don't do anything right now. But on the other hand, if your product category is relevant at that point in time, you can modify the message in a way that it is solving a pain point or enabling the consumer in a particular way, or bring some cheer and happiness to the consumer at that point in time. Do all that. Don't go dark as a brand. You don't have to, you should not. The reality is also, I tell you, uh, Anda, is that uh, you know, I, I am speaking with a number of CMOs uh, and some of the CFOs of other companies as well. Every company is going to be under tremendous pressure, right? Probably the few exceptions would be some grocery chain stores, uh, or it will be some online uh, uh, you know, uh, retailers, but all copy cases, they are going through hell. Uh, and so what do you do as a CEO or a CFO is you want to tighten your belt and reduce your expenses. So they say, do you need to attend so many conferences? Kill conferences. Do you need to travel so much? Kill it. Do you need to, so TND uh, is sort of reduced. The next item they see clearly is, hey, why are we spending so much on advertising? If you are in sponsorships, any of the events are getting canceled, why do you need to spend money? Pull back. So CFOs and CEOs are asking for money to be given from uh, marketing in a, in a big way. And uh, so you need to be very judicious. You cannot be, uh, you know, not be out of touch with the corporate reality and be a, be a marketing purist. You have to be a pragmatic businessman too. In that situation, you have to give up. And if you are giving up, the residue, whatever you have got, first you have to defend very well and justify why you are spending whatever you are spending and make sure that you are spending it in the most appropriate way 
about behind things that either giving you business results or driving your brand, but don't just completely vanish and disappear. Don't hide. Don't run and hide. This is not the time to run and hide either. Thank you so much, Raja. That was a beautiful combination of strategic and tactical advice, and I'm sure the audience really appreciated that. Um, Next up, we have Erica, I, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, Ciro, say Ciro, you can correct me. Um, Erica is the partner and chief marketing officer at Bain and & Company. Um, and Erica, before this, you were the global president and uh, U.S. chief executive officer of Sweaty Betty, which I'm currently wearing uh, the pants of. <laughs> Sweaty Betty has me been- too. Oh, good. Has been my best friend since the <laughs> crisis began. They have very comfortable- yoga pants and other great clothes. Um, Erica, I noticed that you spend most of your career at Bain. Um, I'm sure you've worked and you continue to work with so many different brands and customers. I would love to hear from you. What are you seeing? I mean, you've heard a lot of the CMOs uh, so far. What are you seeing across your different customers really work and not work when it comes to marketing in particular? Yeah, sure. And I'll tell you, I spent most of my uh, my previous career in retail and specifically in uh, uh, apparel. So um, in uh, in the sectors of things that uh, Raja just described that are um, that are hurting quite a bit. And I'll also say um, that Raja is a tough act to follow when uh, we can talk about the front line and what's happening on the front line and putting everything else in uh in perspective, um, you know, I, I would echo um, what we're seeing as a business, what our customers are seeing, uh, reflect many of the other statements that have been said here. You know, as a business, our business looks most like what, what Reggie described at PwC, minus the uh, the audit um, and the uh, the um, the uh, financial sides of this. So we are a um, purely consulting business. Um, we are uh, B2B. And when we think about our customer base, our customer base, uh, the number of people in the world who can buy um, from Bain & Company is probably something like 20 or 30,000 people. So we're talking about a relatively small and rarefied audience. And it's an audience of people who are being overwhelmed with messages um, from uh, their employees and their customers and their stakeholders every day. So it's a group that's that's hard to reach. Um, it, and with that group, I think many of the, the messages that others have said um, resonate first. So the first thing is empathy. Um, the most important thing for us as a business um, is the same thing that we tell all of our clients is the most important thing for them, which is make sure that you understand where your customers are um, and what the, the reality is of the business facing them. And so that that's the first thing. I think one of the... Um, things that we've also been saying to our customers and following uh, with ourselves is you have to turn off marketing autopilot. So there were some great comments earlier about, um, you know, things that have just been put to the side because they no longer seemed appropriate. And uh, that's true for our clients and that's true for us as well. So we had lots of things, um, campaigns, sponsorships, um, events, programs that were underway um, that uh, the things that were live and in person, we obviously had to cancel anyway, but um, many digital things that just wouldn't hit the mark anymore. Um, and we have made a pivot from a uh, thought perspective, a sort of IP and, and thought leadership perspective to being um, at this point exclusively focused on uh, creating pieces on how to help think about um, uh, navigating through this crisis. And there's really uh, two different lenses on that. There's navigating through this crisis in each industry. And so um, we have increased our content output by, I think, about sixfold 
in the last month. Um, and there's navigating by function. So if you are a CFO, um, what's your game plan? If you are a COO, what's your game plan? If you run a supply chain, what's your game plan? Um, just using owned channels um, and earned media, we are seeing um, at least a doubling and sometimes a tripling of traffic through our digital assets. Um, and that's true not only of general traffic, but also of identifiable traffic, you know, coming from clients that we know and work with closely. Um, and we're doing, um, I think we have 60 webinars that we've either done or coming up in the next few weeks where we're seeing um, terrific attendance and um, really high quality engagement. Um, but, but again, it all starts with putting ourselves um, in the shoes of our clients. I, I think a couple of you have said the most important thing, you know, right now is not selling. Um, and we are, we are not selling. Um, we're certainly happy to help if people are asking for help. Um, we, like others, made a commitment that we would basically do three things in this. The first and foremost is protect our people. And so someone said, and I, I wrote down the words that, you know, every dollar, um, Reggie, I think you said this, every dollar that we spend, um, every dollar you don't spend saves a person. Um, that's exactly how we're approaching this. So we've cut back on um, spending quite a lot. Um, the second thing is actually to invest in our clients. So um, we do have the ability as a company to make investments here and we are investing behind our clients. So most of um most of the new activity that we're starting is actually sitting with our clients in how they are flipping their manufacturing processes to uh, making ventilators or uh, working to help make sure that supplies are getting distributed or ensuring that um, hospitals can plan for ICU beds, but, but really um, dedicating a disproportionate amount of our corporate energy there. Um, and then the third commitment that we've made, and again, things have, others have, have um, referenced this, is to make sure that we're going to come out of this a different organization. So from a marketing perspective, again, we're seeing our content production go up. We're seeing our agility go up. We're seeing even how we think about, um, you know, for a business that is used to writing, if you printed them out, eight or nine page pieces of content, getting much smarter and faster about using uh, graphical formats, pushing things out on social, um, using more interactive feeds, um, and doing a lot of things in terms of virtual uh, events and, and, you know, um, Zoom and polling and lots of things that I think will actually become um, important parts of how we how we keep our business um, healthy and moving forward. Erica, I have one question for you. And Reggie, feel free to jump in if you want to, to share your thoughts on this. Um, I'm really happy to hear content productions going up. <laughs> that is obviously good for our business, but uh, not a self-serving question at all. But I'm just curious, what, is, uh, what does success mean nowadays for, for those content efforts? You mentioned that the engagement is through the roof. Your customers are engaging with it, et cetera. But how have the the KPIs shifted? Have you actually shifted the KPIs? Have you gotten the marketing team realigned around it? Is it still about driving upsells and cross-sells and new business? Or have you shifted the KPIs to something else? Um, it's a good question. I, I will say um, in our business in particular, um, and this will be true for some others and wildly untrue for, <laughs> for other folks on this call, um, I don't view us as being um, a source of lead generation. Um, the best thing that can happen is that someone picks up the phone or sends an email after having seen our content and reaches out to their main contact. Um, so the the best measure, and this is true always, and it's actually especially true now, the, the sort of best measure that we have on KPIs is not something that we try to um, do hardcore tracking on, which is very, um, I, I don't know, it's a, uh, it's a bit 
countercultural to say right now that we're not not trying to do hard metrics on on marketing activity, um, but we're looking for our clients reaching out, our clients um, asking us about things before we can raise them for them, and the answer is yes. And so um, again, what we can look and do, and what we are doing is looking and seeing who's engaging in content, so that we can make sure that our teams are proactively having those conversations. Um, but it's, we're not trying to make a connection between did someone engage in the content and should we be having this commercial conversation with them? And we actually, we don't do that on a, on a standard basis either. Got it. Thank you. Um, Reggie, anything you want to add before we switch over to Rachel? Yeah, no. So I, I agree with that. I mean, so by the way, I would, and Andy, you know, I talked about this, our content production is way up as well. Um, and in fact, I was having a discussion about that today. I, I, um, uh, and I, I want it to be relevant, though, like that to me, relevance is what's most important right now. It is um, back to what Erica said. It's like if our if our clients are able to pick that content up and it is beneficial to them and helping to navigate the situation that they're going through currently, that's a win. Um, I am very focused on on and I don't think it's a pivot as much as it's just making sure that our content is focused on helping our partners generate leads in the market. I mean, that's just a reality. Um, we do have a business to run and going back to our commitment to our people, if we're not trying to grow the revenue side of the business, um, then we're not fulfilling our commitment to our people. Um, and so we do, we still have to do that, but in balance with the fact that we still have to advise our clients and be willing to make those investments as well, because we have long-term relationships, much like Bain does and much like anybody here does long-term relationships with our clients and our customers. So again, my number one lens right now is relevance. I want to make sure the content we're producing is relevant. One of the great things about being in a partnership like ours or like Bain is that we are a partnership and we have a lot of really smart people. One of the challenging things is we have a, really, a lot of smart people who all want to get their point of view in the market. So it's really trying to filter through that, figure out what is most relevant, uh, focus it on the needs that are in the market today for our clients, um, and then producing that content in a way that's going to be beneficial to them. Sounds good. Thank you, Reggie. Um, Rachel, back to you. Yeah. Um, Carla Hassan in the house, Chief hey. Brand Officer of City. Hi. Uh, hi. So, um, you know, when I think about your background, you're obviously within financial services now. Before that, Toys R Us, you were in retail. Before that, you were CPG, PepsiCo, Kellogg. I feel like all you're missing is the airline industry to have a huge amount of empathy. Um, but that's what I wanna, I wanna start with. Uh, you know, if none of you have ever heard the Nadine Dietz CMO Moves Carla Hassan podcast, it's a masterclass in leadership. So I suggest that you listen to it. Um, but in it, that's really where I said, wow, you might be one of the most empathetic leaders that I've ever met. In your mind right now, I want to talk to you about the what's working, what's not working in leadership okay. in this moment in time. Okay. Um, first of all, wow, thank you. I, I, you know, I feel like I need to flip you some, some, some dollars here for saying that. I really, really appreciate it because I think one of the things that I probably pride myself the most on, and when I think about my own legacy, it really, I really do want people to, to, to think about the kind of leader that I was because we're all great marketers. We all do wonderful things. And so, for me, leadership and in particular empathy, empathetic leadership is really, really important. And I would tell you from a leadership standpoint, what I have found that has worked is really, really working right now is leaders who can, who have a balance of listening, 
understanding the the uh, understanding where people are coming from what some people's issues might be like really being thoughtful and intentional about listening to what's going on and being empathetic but then also balance that with inspiration with decisiveness and with direction and for me that's what's working i think if you dwell too much as a leader on the empathy side ross you're killing me with my like glamour shots picture over there <laughs> but if you i think if you dwell as a leader too much on the the vulnerability and the empathy and all that right now people i think in the beginning people really appreciate it but then they want you to pivot into okay that's i, I love that but can you also help us you know move on and 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 you know figure out like what what is next and what we should do and give us some direction and so for me what has been really working right now from a leadership standpoint is that is the combination of empathy and decisiveness i also think what's working right now is is over communication. I don't think that leaders right now can over communicate. And when I talk leadership, to me, it's not just, you know, Mike, who's at the head of our company or myself who heads up an entire global brand team or to me, leadership right now, and we said it earlier, is it can be born anywhere at times like this. And so I have seen examples of, you know, some of my team members over communicating with their functional partners or with their external partners. And it just, I think, breeds a lot more confidence because people know in a time of anxiety, knowledge right now, I think is really important. So those are, I would say, two things that I think have worked. What hasn't worked is, um, for me, is, is, um, is I go back to the word authentic and, uh, you know, not being authentic, not being who you are, trying to lean into being empathetic if you're not really, you're, you know, like the, people can just sense it. People can sense when leaders aren't comfortable. And so I think um, that's what, for me, hasn't worked when you see a leader that is just forcing something because it's the thing that they have to do right now. And, you know, instead of saying, you know what, I'm not necessarily good at that. I recognize it. Let me delegate that to, you know, someone over here on my team who's actually really good at it. And so I think that there's, you know, that to me is, is some of what's working and not working from a leadership standpoint right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And now you're the chief brand officer and I want to pick your brain on what is the purpose of brand during a time of crisis? Yeah, so look, I think, um, you know, a lot of folks have, have talked about it, but I actually think brands can play um, a big role during a time of crisis if it's authentic. And so a lot of folks have talked about it, right? And there's varying degrees of thoughts on this, on this call as to, you know, should the brand have a voice? Should the brand not have a voice? <clears throat> For me, I think the brand should. I don't. I, I like Ross. Believe that you can't be neutral. Excuse me. I think you can't be neutral. <clears throat> but I think if you if you talk about things that aren't authentic to you as a brand and not consistent with your values, then it's all like it, again. It goes. People can see between. People can see right through that. So you know, we're following data to to determine what you know, how we should talk and how we shouldn't talk. And, you know, any any kind of poll we're seeing out there or a lot of the data we're seeing out there is the majority of people are watching what brands are doing right now. They're watching how we're behaving. They're watching what we're saying. They're watching when we're saying it. And so for me, I think it's important to be able to say things that are meaningful, that are relevant, and that are consistent with our values. So, you know, we, we put a piece of content out actually a couple of days ago in partnership 
partnership with um, our, our, our partners on the, on the consumer side. So working very close with the global consumer CMO and her team. Jen Breithaupt and our agency at Publicis, we decided that, you know, much like everybody else over here, we're actually, we don't want to talk about the product right now. It just felt really tone deaf. Um, but we, you know, we had some media weight that we, you know, we, we didn't, couldn't necessarily get out of and didn't actually necessarily want to. Um, and we thought long and hard about the role of the brand and what we should say and who we should say it to. And for us at City, our employees sit at the very top of the who we should say say things to. We have 200 plus thousand people around the world and a lot of them are out there on the front line and we felt like we wanted to, you know, not only thank the people that are on the front line that knowing that are that that our are our customers um, but we also wanted to thank our own people and we wanted to you know thank them in a in a in a big way and so we decided to put a uh, to put a piece of content out there uh at, around gratitude for 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 those people um and we'll follow it with other content i think someone said you know in in this day and age you're right especially right now you can't just have one piece of content and expect it to actually do everything needed to do particularly because the world is changing so quickly. So we really are trying to figure out what, what are the right messages that are out there that speak to the leadership and the values of City, but do it in a way that's relevant. And the last thing I'd say, Rachel, on that is City's been a brand that actually has has not really ever been neutral, right? And so, so for us, it doesn't feel weird to put something out there that is you know, showing gratitude for people and talking about our values versus, you know, if we had always been quiet and never said anything and never talked about our stance on gun control and never talked about our stance on LGBTQ issues and been one of the first people to sign things like, you know, we, we and even our pay, our pay equality, right? Like, so when we were transparent about pay equity, all those things for us, we have been a brand that has tried to be out there in the cultural zeitgeist talking about our values. So for us, it felt natural that we would take this next step and we would say something. But, you know, we have the same issues Michael does, right? Like day to day, there's also a group of people that are dealing with how do we stand up, you know, website when the, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the, happens and how do we think about who the different targets are and how we talk to them and the bespoke emails we send out to them and what are you know and on the consumer side the, the team has done a boatload of stuff in in the world of offers and what we're doing with fee waivers and all that stuff and so you know it's a real balance of how much do you talk about that and then how much do you get the brand to play a leadership role but we're we feel like we've we've um, we've done it before and so for us it felt natural that it it is to our people, to our customers, and then to our community. Um, no, it makes a lot of sense. You've built this reputation. You have the permission to do these things. Final question for you. Yeah. I, I really want your thoughts. So have you seen how a lot of brands have changed their logo in response to this, like stay at home or McDonald's separates the M? Yeah. I'm curious your opinion on like brand identity right now. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to ask me my uh, my my thoughts on that particular thing. Look, I think um, again, I think if it is something that's done that's not gimmicky, if it's something that's authentic, then I think uh, it makes sense. But but there are there have been a couple of brands out there that have been you know uh, slammed 
in the media or quite frankly, even from consumers that, you know, that, you know, maybe separating the arches in Brazil wasn't the right thing to do. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I think there was a car company with that as well. And so um, my, my perspective is that if it's done authentically, if it's done um, in a relevant way, uh, I, I, and, it, and if it makes sense for your brand, I actually think that, you know, we, we all think about design very, very, very differently and brand identity very, very differently. And I think if you're a brand that, that, that has the permission to do that and you do it in a relevant way, then great. But if not, then, then I think it just, and sometimes it does come across as a little gimmicky. Mm -hmm. I think the, it's a fine line right now, Rachel, like it's a fine line with everything we're doing right now. Even the best of intentions can come. I mean, when we pivoted really quickly to, to, to this new piece of content, you can't imagine the number of conversations we had in a matter of like 24 hours before we pivoted so quickly of like, is this, you know, how are people, how are people going to respond to this, right? Is this going to feel like it's self-serving? Is this going to actually do the, the, what, what it was intended to do? So it's a fine line. I think we're all trying to, you know, and uh, trying to navigate through that. And, and thankfully we have the tools available to us to be able to read how is that content doing for us and what is brand sentiment around some of the things that we're doing. I'm sure on this just Screaming in her shoes right now with everything that you're saying. Um, I'm, I'm sure that Notch is a part of that tool set for you. Well, thank you, Carla, um, for all of that. Thank so you. next up, one of my favorite marketing leaders, Tara Kassan at CMO of Petco. Now, I think everyone who's in mine and Anda's shoes knows that you have clients that really change the trajectory of your company, and Tarek has been that for me, and he's an incredible leader. And you're also sitting within a very growing industry, which is the pet industry. So um, I want to know when coronavirus started to hit, like, you know, the business industry around March 9th, what did you think was going to happen to Petco's business? Well, it's a great question. Um, we, <laughs> the first thing we had to deal with, which was how do you stay open? Um, because there was a lot of uncertainty in terms of what we would be deemed. and when you actually just look at the statistical data in terms of how, how pets are fed, uh, the way they're cared for by vets um, and some of the essential services, uh, you know, the, the larger retail infrastructure doesn't solve it. It's about 70% of, of all food is actually through independent and specialty retailers, which we play obviously a pretty large area. So honestly, for the first uh, couple of weeks, it was, how do we stay open? Um, and that was in many cases, state by state, and in certain cases, and still county by county. Mm -hmm. um, so a full-time job to pivot just to figure out how to keep your doors open. And, and thankfully, as momentum started to gain to understand what the infrastructure to support, uh, you know, people's unnecessary needs were, that became slightly easier for us. We still have our own months where it's challenging. Um, but admittedly, we had started to actually put some things in the marketplace uh, mid to end of February. Um, based on what was happening in China, we started to put customer sentiment studies in place to understand how customers were actually tracking with the virus, their seriousness, were they changing their behaviors? Um, and both probably not surprising, but concerning was those numbers were not moving very much until about three weeks ago. And then about three weeks ago, we saw a substantial shift in customer sentiment, both in terms of their attitudes towards the virus, but also their changing behavior. Um, and in fact, sentiment, did not actually, behavior was happening faster than sentiment. So mm -hmm. we were seeing shifts to both purchase behavior in terms of the stock up 
um, as well as purchasing out from an e-com perspective. Our e-com business is probably up 400%. Mm-hmm. Um, that behavior was starting actually before the sentiment was catching up. And then literally two weeks ago, the sentiment kind of doubled and, all, and the seriousness of the elements was taken. So we, we were out in front of things in terms of understanding it. Um, and then it truly was, how do we stay open? And then very quickly pivoting, okay, now that we're open, um, we have frontline workers now because the vast number of people that are out there, 18,000 in our case that are in these stores, um, you know, certainly not sitting in ER rooms, but they are sitting in retail environments. Uh, you try to manage traffic and you try to manage the social distancing, but these are folks who are, you know, whether it's grocery stores or our stores or other service uh, environments right now that are helping this country continue to move. Uh, how do we keep them safe and how do we manage for them was our next major focus. And in terms of, um, like, I imagine you had a ton of marketing automation programs set up because it was business as usual. Was there anything that happened under your watch that maybe didn't work? You weren't aware of it and then you had to pivot quickly? No, I think for us, it was how do you pull certain things back in to prevent ourselves from appearing tone deaf? There were some, you know, things that were getting out into the CRM infrastructure that, you know, we were a little slow to pull back. We moved really, really quickly to reposition things at minimum. Um, and we really refocused our guidance. It was a very simple framework for us. We had to help customers understand operational changes we were making. We've changed our hours. Um, we've changed our purchasing behavior. We, in a week, launched curbside pickup. Um, that service didn't exist. And so we had to move quickly to help our customers understand not only that we were open for them, but how they could engage with us. Um, we also had a real significant requirement to educate. There were a lot of questions early on about, you know, could could pets transmit? Could they actually, you know, catch? And even as late as this week, we're, you know, hearing about a tiger in the Bronx Zoo. Um, at this point, we still know there's no hard data to demonstrate that there is transition uh, transmission from pets or animals. You know, so we had to play a role in quickly helping people understand and educate them during this time. Um, the other area that we then said was we had to empathize. We had to help people understand um, I, you know, I have a puppy. I got to stop training. We had to stop training uh, classes because of the, the social distancing. I still have to train that puppy. So what do we do? And so we put ourselves in some really neat, uh, clean swim lanes to help our, our customers. Um, and then frankly, we just stopped everything else. Uh, and we stay focused on our, on our mission and our purpose. And frankly, if we hadn't have really pivoted the company 18 months ago towards really defining ourselves as a health and wellness company mm-hmm. that happens to have retail moments as opposed to a retail company, I'm not 100% sure we would have been able to respond as effectively as we have. And, and we're starting to see the a positive reaction in the market. When you say stop everything else, what was everything else? I mean, it, it was not only from a marketing perspective, but the merchants had to really rethink in order to maintain inventory, what was really essential items that we were going to make sure we had in stock. Um, marketing is great, but if you don't have the ability to get things to your customers, um, that's a problem. And our inventory management team has been able to keep us in around 90 to 96% stock during this period, which is just a phenomenal task. Mm-hmm. But then also taking steps to empathize what's going on. We reduced our minimum uh, order for free delivery on, on, um, for, you know, uh, for online orders. Uh, we almost halved that to help that make an easier situation for customers. Um, and then we just put things down that weren't in this space that were either things we just couldn't do. So we stopped services. Um, and then we also just basically stopped talking about things through the pure lens of, you know, pure pet, pet joy all the time. And then find moments where that does make sense because pets are actually helping us get through this period. Um, 
One final question. I'm going to nerd out a little bit on an e-com side with you. So, you know, Amazon is having fulfillment issues and I'm noticing a trend where other retailers have an opportunity right now to capture market share from Amazon because they can't fulfill the orders. Now, this is an opportunistic thing, but in terms of CRM and loyalty, how are you thinking about new customer acquisition, maybe at the detriment of Amazon and how you're going to bring them into your overall customer loyalty? Well, so we're pretty fortunate in the sense Amazon had really truly woken up to the pet category in earnest. And within the first week of the crisis, we actually saw Amazon abandon the category. When you looked at the auctions and you looked at, you know, the way they were competing, we saw them depart quickly. Uh, Chewy, on the other hand, has been a very, as a direct, you know, direct to customer one, that's where the opportunity has been presented for us, watching them move to delivery times of anywhere between seven and 10 days. And we've been able to still maintain ourselves between anywhere between one and three days. Mm -hmm. um, customers have found that out. Um, for the, this, you know, to equally geek out, we have uh, both acquired uh, at a, a crazy, crazy, crazy rate um, and done it with more efficiency. When you, and you know as well as I do, when you're spending more, you usually see a, a lower acquisition rate. In our case, we're actually seeing a higher acquisition rate. Uh, which tells you what the opportunity, the real opportunity now is what's the experience they have? How do we engage with them? How we demonstrate where they're there for them and, and retain them and let them have an experience that does it, but do it in a way that doesn't feel opportunistic. And so um, I think Raja was spot on earlier. This is not a time to sell. This is a time to serve. And if you do it well, your customers will reward you. And, and we're seeing that in the way uh, customers have uh, responded to us. Well, on that note, I want to call Carla back up with Tarek. Uh, this is a very special moment for some of us to see the two of them talk together. You guys have been on the line with us for the majority of the last two hours. What do you think are some of the big takeaways that we should all be bringing back to our teams? By the way, I just want to introduce one very important fact, which is that Carla and Tarek are married and are in the same house, but in different rooms. This is why we're all so excited that they get to wrap this up and bring it all back together. So... Just giving context. Thank you. And, uh, and, and, and for anyone on the line uh, who, who knows us at all, Tarek and I never, like we try to separate work and business as much as possible. And in fact, this is the first time that you'll see that, that you've seen us, oh my gosh, no, please, that you've seen us actually do something together work-wise. And you can hear the dog and the daughter in the background too. <laughs> Uh, I totally just took a screenshot of this, just so you know. Um, so what do you think are some of the big takeaways for the audience? Guys, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to start. I think one of the things that I've, I've heard um, consistently with everybody is this notion of um, we are all pivoting, pivoting so quickly. We're innovating so quickly. This, this, and it's actually almost surprising some of us because usually things that have taken so long. Tarek just gave an example for newer. Please, uh, sorry guys. Tarek just gave an example. Um, sorry, Tarek, take over. Sorry. Re I got really. it. <laughs> uh, the power of uh, parenting both a puppy and a kid at the same time. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I think, um, I think to Carla's point, that the, the aspects of being able to be nimble and pivot to innovate are, are themes that we're hearing. Um, I, I agree. I think we're seeing true leadership uh, have its moment. Make sure you're maintaining your purpose because, boy, oh, boy, if you don't have one, now's a horrible time to try to create one. Um, this is a place where that will, will, will either shine through or um, 
you know, be demonstrated. We are seeing fundamental changes forever. You're going to see behavioral changes. Uh, certainly the role of digital. This is, we talk a lot about digital transformation. I think we just got a very clear understanding of digital acceleration to that transformation. Uh, and, we're, and, and many of us are either ready or not ready or trying to figure it out still. Um, the, you know, they really has demonstrated great innovation. And, I, and you know, I, I find it interesting. I, I, just, I was talking to my team the other day. The Chinese word for crisis is the same word as opportunity. And, and, I, and, I, and we've been talking about that a lot as an organization, that within this crisis presents tremendous opportunity, not just in terms of how you get through today, but doing this work is an, an no regret and potentially change the way you could do your business in the future. And I think you heard themes of that from uh, a number of the leaders that were on here. Um, you know, I think the notion of people is really clear. Are you, are you communicating? Are you caring for them? Not just your customers, but your own and really making sorry, sure. If I can jump in on that. You can, I was, I was waiting for you to, to get past the dog and the kid and do your thing. Several, several people talked about um, your people being first. Um, and I do think that that is really important as we think even about coming out of this. I think the companies that people are gonna wanna work for, the companies that people are gonna wanna be a part of are those companies that first and foremost in this crisis didn't necessarily just think about the bottom line, but thought about their people, keeping their people safe, giving um, well-being tips for their people, uh, opening up, you know, uh, uh, lines where people can actually talk to people if they have an issue. So things like that, you know, making sure that their, that their folks felt like they were still a part of a community. I think that is just absolutely critical that though I think, you know, we're seeing um, companies, some reluctantly so, and some that are just in it from the very beginning that say, it's about our people. First and foremost, it's about our people and then everything else we can sort out. And I think that's really important, particularly coming, coming out of this. Um, one other thing that I, I loved what, um, what Ross said, I don't think he's on here anymore, but I loved what he said about what utility are you providing? So at the end of the day, what, what the way I talk about it with my team is what value are you adding? Whether it's to somebody that you work with in the organization or quite frankly, our customers and our clients, what value are we adding as a, as a, as a brand, I think is, is also something that I heard um, folks talk about. So I think that's, Generally, the gist of it. I know Tark, do anything that. I think those were great nope. cliff notes. Cliff notes by the Hassans. Well, thank you, everyone uh, who just joined us. This is officially our fourth webinar, which means some of you have spent eight hours with Anda and I. And um, next week, same place, same time. We're doing this every Thursday, 4 p.m. And I also want to give a special shout out to just the Notch team overall. They've been amazing at producing this event for all of you. They've also turned the webinar now into a podcast. If you're not listening to Anda's podcast, Pros and Content, it's amazing. You can catch us there and every other episode she's recorded with every other phenomenal CMO. Um, and if you're celebrating Passover tonight, happy Pesach and good Easter this weekend. Thank you so much, Rachel. That was a great shout out. Appreciate it. Thank you to you for being an awesome co-host and bringing the energy to the webinar. Congratulations to the two of you guys. What you've done over the last four weeks has been unbelievable. If you have, if there are people that haven't listened to um, just the, the, the last few weeks, it's just been unbelievable what you guys have been able to achieve and how you've pivoted and said, you know what, we want to provide this value for the, the industry. Really, really phenomenal. It's great to be in your orbit, ladies. Oh, thank, thank you so you much. Carla. And thank you everyone for joining us.
Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Joy. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Notch and Micmac Roundtable. We hope you enjoyed the episode and are staying safe and healthy. If you would like to learn more, please visit us at notch.com slash COVID. And if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please let us know by emailing onda at prosandcontent.co. Thank you. We hope you stay safe.